Section 36 of Hinduism and Buddhism, an historical sketch, volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Hinduism and Buddhism, an historical sketch, volume 1, by Charles Eliot. Life of the Buddha, part 3. It now becomes difficult to give dates, but the Mahavaga relates that the Buddha stopped some time at Rajagaha and then revisited his native town, Kapilavatu. That he should have done so is natural enough, but there is little trace of sentiment in the narrative of the Vinaya. Its object is to state the occasion on which the Buddha laid down the rules of the order. Irrelevant incidents are ignored, and those which are noticed are regarded simply as the circumstances which led to the formulation of certain regulations. Quote, the Lord dwelt in the Sakka country near Kapilavatu in the Banyan Grove, and in the forenoon, having put on his robes and taken his alms bowl, he went to the home of the Sakka Sudhodana and sat down on a seat prepared for him. Footnote three thirty eight his father End footnote. then the princess who was the mother of rahula said to him this is your father rahula go and ask him for your inheritance footnote three thirty nine the buddha's former wife End footnote then young rahula went to the place where the lord was and standing before him said your shadow monk is a place of bliss then the lord rose from his seat and went away but rahula followed him saying give me my inheritance monk then the lord said to sariputta who had already become his chief disciple well sariputta confer the preliminary ordination on young rahula sariputta asked how he should do so and the Buddha explained the forms. Quote, then the Sakka Sudhodana went to the place where the Lord was, and after respectfully saluting him, asked for a boon. Lord, when the Blessed One gave up the world, it was great pain to me, and so it was when Nanda did the same. Footnote 340 Half-brother of the Buddha and Sudodana's son by Mahaprajapati. End footnote. Great too was my pain when Rahula did it. The love for a son, Lord, cuts into the skin, the flesh, the bones, and reaches the marrow. Let not the preliminary ordination be conferred on a son without his parents' permission. The Buddha assented. Three or four years later, Sutodana died. End quote. From Kapilavatu, the Buddha is said to have gone to Savati, the capital of Kosala, where Pasenadi was king. But now we lose the chronological thread and do not find it again until the last years of his life. Few of the numerous incidents recorded in the Pitakas can be dated. The narrators resemble those Indian artists who, when carving a story in relief, place all the principal figures in one panel 
without attempting to mark the sequence of the incidents which are represented simultaneously for the connection of events with the buddha's teaching the compilers of the pitakas had an eye for their connection with his life none at all and though this attitude is disquieting to the historic sense it is not unjustifiable the object and the achievement of the buddha was to preach a certain doctrine and to found an order all the rest years and countries pains and pleasures was of no importance and it would appear that we have not lost much we should have a greater sense of security if we had an orderly account of his wanderings and his relations with the kings of his time but after he had once entered on his ministry the events which broke the peaceful tenor of his long life were few and we probably know most of them though we cannot date them for about forty-five years he moved about kosala magadha and anga visiting the two capitals savati and rajagaha and going as far west as the country of the kurus he took little part in politics or worldly life though a hazy but not improbable story represents him as pacifying the sakyas and koliyas who were on the point of fighting about the water of the rohini which irrigated the lands of both clans footnote three forty one jataka three fifty six end footnote he uniformly enjoyed the respect and attention of kings and the wealthy classes doubtless he was not popular with the brahmins or with those good people who disliked seeing fine young men made into monks but it does not appear that his teaching provoked any serious tumults or that he was troubled by anything but schism within the order we have if not a history at least a picture of a life which though peaceful was active and benevolent but aloof majestic and authoritative we are told that at first his disciples wandered about at all seasons but it was not long before he bade them observe the already established routine for itinerant monks of travelling on foot during the greater part of the year but of resting for three months during the rainy season known as vasa and beginning sometime in june footnote three forty two mahavaga three one End footnote. when moving about he appears to have walked from five to ten miles a day regulating his movements so as to reach inhabited places in time to collect food for the midday meal the afternoon he devoted to meditation and in the evening gave instruction he usually halted in woods or gardens on the outskirts of villages and cities and often on the bank of a river or tank for shade and water would be the first requisites for a wandering monk on these journeys he was accompanied by a considerable following of disciples five hundred or twelve hundred and fifty are often mentioned and though the numbers may be exaggerated there is no reason to doubt that the band was large the suttas generally commence with a picture of the surroundings in which the discourse recorded was delivered the buddha is walking along the high road from rajagaha to nalanda with a great company of disciples 
or he is journeying through kosala and halting in a mango grove on the banks of the asiravati river or he is stopping in a wood outside a brahmin village and the people go out to him the principal brahmins taking their siesta on the upper terraces of their houses see the crowd and ask their doorkeepers what it means on hearing the cause they debate whether they or the buddha should pay the first call and ultimately visit him or he is halting on the shore of the gagara lake at kampa in western bengal sitting under the fragrant white flowers of a kampaka tree or he visits the hills overlooking rajagaha haunted by peacocks and by wandering monks often he stops in buildings described as halls which were sometimes merely rest houses for travellers but it became more and more the custom for the devout to erect such buildings for his special use and even in his lifetime they assumed the proportions of monasteries footnote three forty three thus we hear how dasama of athakam majima nikaya fifty two built one for fifteen hundred monks and gotamuka another in pataliputa which bore his name End footnote. the people of vesali built one in a wood to the north of their city known as the gabled hall it was a storied house having on the ground floor a large room surrounded by pillars and above it the private apartments of the buddha such private rooms especially those which he occupied at savati were called gantakuti or the perfumed chamber at kapilavatu the sakyas erected a new building known as santagara footnote three forty four majima nikaya fifty three end footnote the buddha was asked to inaugurate it and did so by a discourse lasting late into the night which he delivered sitting with his back against a pillar at last he said his back was tired and laid down leaving ananda to continue the edification of the congregation who were apparently less exhausted than the preacher but perhaps the residence most frequently mentioned is that in the garden called jetavana at savati anatta pindika a rich merchant of that town was converted by the buddha when staying at rajagaha and invited him to spend the next rainy season at savati footnote three forty five kulavaga six four and footnote on returning to his native town to look for a suitable place he decided that the garden of the prince jetta best satisfied his requirements he obtained it only after much negotiation for a sum sufficient to cover the whole ground with coins when all except a small space close to the gateway had been thus covered jetta asked to be allowed to share in the gift and on receiving permission erected on the vacant spot a gateway with a room over it Quote, and anata pindika the householder built dwelling rooms and retiring rooms and store rooms 
and halls with fireplaces and outside storehouses and closets and cloisters and halls attached to the bathrooms and ponds and roofed open sheds End quote. footnote three forty six probably sheds consisting of a roof set on posts but without walls End footnote Budagosa has given an account of the way in which the Buddha was wont to spend his days when stopping in some such resting place, and his description is confirmed by the numerous details given in the Pitakas. Footnote 347 Translated by Rhys Davids, American Lectures, pages 108 and forward. End footnote he rose before dawn and would often retire and meditate until it was time to set out on the round for alms but not unfrequently he is represented as thinking that it was too early to start and that he might first visit some monk of the neighborhood then he went round the town or village with his disciples carrying his alms bowl and accepting everything put into it sometimes he talked to his disciples while walking footnote three forty eight example majima nikaya sixty two end footnote frequently instead of begging for alms he accepted an invitation to dine with some pious person who asked the whole band of disciples and made strenuous culinary efforts such invitations were given at the conclusion of a visit paid to the buddha on the previous day and were accepted by him with silence which signified consent on the morning of the next day the host announced in person or through a messenger that the meal was ready and the buddha taking his mantle and bowl went to the house the host waited on the guests with his own hands putting the food which he had prepared into their bowls after the repast the buddha delivered a discourse or catechized the company he did the same with his own disciples when he collected food himself and returned home to eat it he took but one meal a day between eleven and twelve and did not refuse meat when given to him provided that he did not know the animals had been slaughtered expressly for his food footnote three forty nine but in majima nikaya two five he says he is not bound by rules as to eating End footnote. when he had given instruction after the meal he usually retired to his chamber or to a quiet spot under trees for repose and meditation on one occasion he took his son rahula with him into a wood at this hour to impart some of the deepest truths to him but as a rule he gave no further instruction until the late afternoon footnote three fifty majima nikaya one forty seven end footnote the pitakas represent all believers as treating the buddha with the greatest respect but the salutations and titles which they employ hardly exceed those ordinarily used in speaking to eminent persons footnote three fifty one in an exceedingly curious passage diga nikaya four 
the brahmin sonadanda while accepting the buddha's teaching asks to be excused from showing the buddha such extreme marks of respect as rising from his seat or dismounting from his chariot on the ground that his reputation would suffer he proposes and apparently is allowed to substitute less demonstrative salutations End footnote. kings were at this time addressed as deva whereas the buddha's usual title is bhagava or bante lord a religious solemnity and deliberation prevails in the interviews which he grants but no extravagance of adoration is recorded visitors salute him by bowing with joined hands sit respectfully on one side while he instructs them and in departing are careful to leave him on their right hand he accepts such gifts as food clothes gardens and houses but rejects all ceremonial honors thus prince bodhi when receiving him carpeted his mansion with white cloths but the buddha would not walk on them and remained standing at the entrance till they were taken up footnote three fifty two kulavaga five twenty one and majima nikaya eighty five End footnote. the introduction to the arya pariyasana sutta gives a fairly complete picture of a day in his life at savatti it relates how in the morning he took his bowl and mantle and went to the town to collect food while he was away some monks told his personal attendant ananda that they wished to hear a discourse from him as it was long since they had had the privilege ananda suggested that they had better go to the hermitage of the brahmin ramaka near the town the buddha returned ate his meal and then said come ananda let us go to the terrace of megara's mother and stay there till evening footnote three fifty three visaka a lady of noted piety it was probably a raised garden planted with trees End footnote they went there and spent the day in meditation towards evening the buddha rose and said let us go to the old bath to refresh our limbs after they had bathed ananda suggested that they should go to ramaka's hermitage the buddha assented by his silence and they went together within the hermitage were many monks engaged in instructive conversation so the buddha waited at the door till there was a pause in the talk then he coughed and knocked the monks opened the door and offered him a seat after a short conversation he recounted to them how he had striven for and obtained buddhahood these congregations were often prolonged late into the night we hear for instance how he sat on the terrace belonging to megara's mother in the midst of an assembly of monks waiting for his words still and silent in the light of the full moon how a monk would rise adjusting his robe so as to leave one shoulder bare bow with his hands joined and raised to his forehead and ask permission to put a question and the lord would reply be seated monk ask what you will footnote three fifty four majima nikaya one ten
End footnote. But sometimes in these nightly congregations the silence was unbroken. When King Ajatasattu went to visit him in the mango grove of Jivaka, he was seized with sudden fear at the unearthly stillness of the place and suspected an ambush. Footnote 355. Diga Nikaya number 2. Compare Jataka 150, which shows how much variation was permitted in the words ascribed to the Buddha. End footnote. Fear not, O king, said Jivaka. I am playing you no tricks. Go straight on. There in the pavilion hall the lamps are burning, and there is the Blessed One, sitting against the middle pillar, facing the east with the brethren round him. And when the king beheld the assembly seated in perfect silence, calm as a clear lake, he exclaimed, Would that my son might have such calm as this assembly now has. The major part of the Buddha's activity was concerned with the instruction of his disciples and the organization of the Sangha, or order. Though he was ready to hear and teach all, the portrait presented to us is not that of a popular preacher who collects and frequents crowds, but rather that of a master, occupied with the instruction of his pupils. A large band indeed, but well prepared and able to appreciate and learn by heart, teaching which, though freely offered to the whole world, was somewhat hard to untrained ears. In one passage, an inquirer asks him why he shows more zeal in teaching some than others. Footnote 356 Samanafala Nikaya 42.7 End footnote The answer is, if a landowner had three fields, one excellent, one middling, and one of poor soil, would he not first sow the good field, then the middling field, and last of all the bad field, thinking to himself, it will just produce fodder for the cattle. So the Buddha preaches first to his own monks, then to lay believers, and then, like the landowner who sows the bad field last, to Brahmins, ascetics, and wandering monks of other sects, thinking if they only understand one word, it will do them good for a long while. It was to such congregations of disciples or to inquirers belonging to other religious orders that he addressed his most important discourses, iterating in grave numbered periods the truths concerning the reality of sorrow and the equal reality of salvation, as he sat under a clump of bamboos or in the shade of a banyan, in sight perhaps of a tank where the lotuses, red, white, and blue, submerged or rising from the water typified the various classes of mankind he did not start by laying down any constitution for his order its rules were formed entirely by case law each incident and difficulty was referred to him as it arose and his decision was accepted as the law on that point during his last illness he showed a noble anxiety not to hamper his followers by the prestige of his name, but to leave behind him a body of free men, able to be a light and a help to themselves. 
but a curious passage represents an old monk as saying immediately after his death weep not brethren we are well rid of the great monk we used to be annoyed by being told this beseems you and this does not beseem you but now we shall be able to do what we like and not have to do what we don't like footnote three fifty seven mahaparinib sutta six twenty the monk subhada in whose mouth these words are put was apparently not the person of the same name who was the last convert made by the buddha when dying End footnote. clearly the laxer disciples felt the master's hand to be somewhat heavy and we might have guessed as much for though gotama had a breadth of view rare in that or in any age though he refused to multiply observances or to dogmatize every sutta indicates that he was a man of exceptional authority and decision what he has laid down he has laid down there is no compulsion or punishment no vow of obedience or sacrificium intellectus but it is equally clear that there is no place in the order for those who in great or small think differently from the master in shepherding his flock he had the assistance of his senior disciples of these the most important were sariputta and mogalana both of them brahmins who left their original teacher sanjaya to join him at the outset of his ministry sariputta enjoyed his confidence so fully that he acted as his representative and gave authoritative expositions of doctrine footnote three fifty eight his personal name was upatissa End footnote. the buddha even compared him to the eldest son of an emperor who assists his father in the government but both he and mogalana died before their master and thus did not labor independently another important disciple upali survived him and probably contributed materially to the codification of the vinaya anuruddha and ananda both of them sakyas are also frequently mentioned especially the latter who became his personal attendant and figures in the account of his illness and death as the beloved disciple to whom his last instructions were committed footnote three fifty nine this position was also held previously no doubt by sagata End footnote. these two together with four other young sakya nobles and upali joined the order twenty-five years before gotama's death and perhaps formed an inner circle of trusted relatives though we have no reason to think there was any friction between them and brahmans like sariputta upali is said to have been barber of the sakyas it is not easy to say what his social status may have been but it probably did not preclude intimacy the buddha was frequently occupied with maintaining peace and order among his disciples though the profession of a monk excluded worldly advancement it was held in great esteem and was hence adopted by ambitious and quarrelsome men who had no true vocation the troubles which arose in the sangha are often ascribed in the vinaya to the chabagiyas 
six brethren who became celebrated in tradition as spirits of mischief and who are evidently made the peg on which these old monkish anecdotes are hung as a rule the intervention of the buddha was sufficient to restore peace but one passage indicates resistance to his authority footnote three sixty mahavaga ten two compare the singular anecdote in six twenty two where the buddha quite unjustifiably suspects a doctor of making an indelicate joke the story seems to admit that the buddha might be wrong and also that he was sometimes treated with want of respect End footnote. the brethren quarrelled so often that the people said it was a public scandal the buddha endeavoured to calm the disputants but one of them replied lord let the blessed one quietly enjoy the bliss which he has obtained in this life the responsibility for these quarrels will rest with us alone this seems a clear hint that the blessed one had better mind his own business renewed injunctions and parables met with no better result and the blessed one thought says the narrative truly these fools are infatuated and he rose from his seat and went away other troubles are mentioned but by far the most serious was the schism of devadatta represented as occurring in the old age of gotama when he was about seventy-two the story as told in the kulavaga is embellished with supernatural incidents and seems not to observe the natural sequence of events but perhaps three features are historical namely that devadatta wished to supersede the buddha as head of the order that he was the friend of ajatasattu crown prince and afterwards king of magadha and that he advocated a stricter rule of life than the buddha chose to enforce footnote three sixty one seven two and following pages End footnote footnote three sixty two the introductions to jatakas twenty six and one fifty say that ajatasattu built a great monastery for him at gayasisa End footnote this combination of piety and ambition is perhaps not unnatural he was a cousin of the buddha and entered the order at the same time as ananda and other young sakya nobles sprung from that quarrelsome breed he possessed in a distorted form some of gotama's own ability he is represented as publicly urging the master to retire and dwell at ease but met with an absolute refusal sariputta was directed to proclaim him in rajagaha the proclamation being to the effect that his nature had changed and that all his words and deeds were disowned by the order then devadatta incited the crown prince to murder his father bimbisara the plot was prevented by the ministers but the king told ajatasattu that if he wanted the kingdom he could have it and abdicated but his unnatural son put him to death all the same by starving him slowly in confinement footnote three sixty three the buddha says so himself diga nikaya two 
but does not mention the method. End footnote. With the assistance of Ajata Satu, Devadatta then tried to compass the death of the Buddha. First he hired assassins, but they were converted as soon as they approached the sacred presence. Then he rolled down a rock from the vulture's peak with the intention of crushing the Buddha, but the mountain itself interfered to stop the sacrilege, and only a splinter scratched the Lord's foot. Then he arranged for a mad elephant to be let loose in the road at the time of collecting alms, but the Buddha calmed the furious beast. It is perhaps by some error of arrangement that after committing such unpardonable crimes, Devadatta is represented as still a member of the order and endeavoring to provoke a schism by asking for stricter rules. The attempt failed, and according to later legends he died on the spot, but the Vinaya merely says that hot blood gushed from his mouth. That there are historical elements in this story is shown by the narrative of Fa Xian, the Chinese pilgrim who traveled in India about 400 A.D. He tells us that the followers of Devadatta still existed in Kosala and revered the three previous Buddhas, but refused to recognize Gotama. This is interesting, for it seems to show that it was possible to accept Gotama's doctrine, or the greater part of it, as something independent of his personality and an inheritance from earlier teachers. The Udana and Jataka relate another plot, without specifying the year. Some heretics induced a nun called Sundari to pretend she was the Buddha's concubine, and hired assassins to murder her. They then accused the bhikkhus of killing her to conceal their master's sin, but the real assassins got drunk with the money they had received and revealed the conspiracy in their cups. But these are isolated cases. As a whole, the Buddha's long career was marked by a peace and friendliness, which are surprising if we consider what innovations his teaching contained. Though in contending that priestly ceremonies were useless, he refrained from neither direct condemnation nor satire. Yet he is not represented as actively attacking them, and we may doubt if he forbade his lay disciples to take part in rites and sacrifices as a modern missionary might do. Footnote 364 The Dhamma Sangani defines courtesy as being of two kinds, hospitality and considerateness in matters of doctrine. End footnote. We find him sitting by the sacred fire of a Brahmin and discoursing, but not denouncing the worship carried on in the place. Footnote 365. Majima Nikaya 75. End footnote. When he converted Siha, the general of the Likkavis, who had been a Jain, he bade him continue to give food and gifts as before to the Jain monks who frequented his house, an instance of toleration in a proselytizing teacher which is perhaps without parallel. Footnote 366 Mahavaga 6, 31, 11 End footnote Similarly, 
in the sigalavada sutta it is laid down that a good man ministers to monks and to brahmins if it is true that ajatasattu countenanced devadatta's attempts to murder him he ignored such disagreeable details with a sublime indifference for he continued to frequent rajagaha received the king and preached to him one of his finest sermons without alluding to the past he stands before us in the suttas as a man of amazing power of will inaccessible to fear promises and one may add to argument but yet in comparison with other religious leaders singularly gentle in taking the offensive against error often he simply ignored it as irrelevant never mind he said on his deathbed to his last convert never mind whether other teachers are right or wrong listen to me i will teach you the truth and when he is controversial his method is often to retain old words in honorable use with new meanings the brahmins are not denounced like the pharisees in the new testament but the real brahmin is a man of uprightness and wisdom the real sacrifice is to abstain from sin and follow the truth women played a considerable part in the entourage of gotama they were not secluded in india at that time and he admitted that they were capable of attaining saintship the work of ministering to the order of supplying it with food and raiment naturally fell largely to pious matrons and their attentive forethought delighted to provide for the monks those comforts which might be accepted but not asked for prominent among such donors was visaka who married the son of a wealthy merchant at savatti and converted her husband's family from jainism to the true doctrine the vinaya recounts how after entertaining the buddha and his disciples she asked eight boons which proved to be the privileges of supplying various classes of monks with food clothing and medicine and of providing the nuns with bathing dresses for said she it shocked her sense of propriety to see them bathing naked but the anecdotes respecting the buddha and women whether his wife or others are not touched with sentiment not even so much as is found in the conversation between yajnavalkya and metreyi in the upanishad to women as a class he gave their due and perhaps in his own opinion more than their due but if he felt any interest in them as individuals the sacred texts have obliterated the record in the last year of his life he dined with the courtesan ambapali and the incident has attracted attention on account of its supposed analogy to the narrative about christ and the woman which was a sinner but the resemblance is small there is no sign that the buddha then eighty years of age felt any personal interest in ambapali whatever her morals may have been she was a benefactress of the order and he simply gave her the same opportunity as others of receiving instruction when the likavi princes tried to induce him to dine with them instead of with her he refused to break his promise the invitations of princes had no attraction for him and he was a prince himself 
a fragment of conversation introduced irrelevantly into his deathbed discourses is significant how lord are we to conduct ourselves with regard to womankind don't see them ananda but if we see them what are we to do abstain from speech but if they should speak to us what are we to do keep wide awake footnote three sixty seven kulavaga ten one three and footnote this spirit is even more evident in the account of the admission of nuns to the order when the buddha was visiting his native town his aunt and foster mother mahaprajapati thrice begged him to grant this privilege to women but was thrice refused and went away in tears then she followed him to vesali and stood in the entrance of the kutagara hall with swollen feet and covered with dust and sorrowful ananda who had a tender heart interviewed her and going in to the buddha submitted her request but received a triple refusal but he was not to be denied and urged that the buddha admitted women to be capable of attaining saintship and that it was unjust to refuse the blessings of religion to one who had suckled him at last gotama yielded perhaps the only instance in which he is represented as convinced by argument but he added if ananda women had not received permission to enter the order the pure religion would have lasted long the good law would have stood fast a thousand years but since they had received that permission it will now stand fast for only five hundred years footnote three sixty eight maha parinibbana five twenty three perhaps the buddha was supposed to be giving ananda last warnings about his besetting weakness End footnote. he maintained and approved the same hard detached attitude in other domestic relations his son rahula received special instruction but is not represented as enjoying his confidence like ananda a remarkable narrative relates how when the monk sangamaji was sitting beneath a tree absorbed in meditation his former wife whom he had left on abandoning the world laid his child before him and said here monk is your little son nourish me and nourish him but sangamaji took no notice and the woman went away the buddha who observed what happened said he feels no pleasure when she comes no sorrow when she goes him i call a true brahmin released from passion footnote three sixty nine udana one eight end footnote this narrative is repulsive to european sentiment particularly as the chronicler cannot spare the easy charity of a miracle to provide for the wife and child but in taking it as an index of the character of gotama we must bear in mind such sayings of christ as if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters yea and his own life also he cannot be my disciple footnote three seventy compare too the language of angela of foligno 
1248 to 1309, by God's will, there died my mother, who was a great hindrance unto me in following the way of God. My husband died likewise, and all my children. And because I had commenced to follow the aforesaid way, and had prayed God that he would rid me of them, I had great consolation of their deaths, although I did also feel some grief. Beate Angele de Fulginio Visionum et Instructionum Chapter 9 End footnote End section thirty six. Recording by Linda Johnson.